0: This message first aired on the radio on May 25th, 2004. As we take up the fifth chapter of Galatians today, we look in the first verse and it tells us to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Well if it tells us to therefore stand fast, maybe we need to pick up above what's written at the end of chapter 4 to see what the therefore is there for. And when we look above we see this statement in verses 30 and 31. Nevertheless what says the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Now we don't care to repeat all what we had to say yesterday or much of what we had to say in our last time together there in Galatians chapter 4 but we do want to say this there is no peaceful coexistence with the spirit and the flesh there is no possible peaceful coexistence your Christian life is damaged and your Christian life cannot be won toward airship if it is the case that you walk on the wrong principle there is no alternative except to follow the example of Abraham and what God told him to do listen to your wife cast out the bondwoman and her son this is quoted from Genesis 21 for the son of the bondwoman who is Ishmael who is a picture there of Mount Sinai and the law and the legal principle that goes with it which begets bondage it begets bondage in your life it begat bondage in the nation of Israel it Genders or begets to bondage, as verse 25 of Galatians 4 says The son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. There's not going to be a mixture of law and grace possible. When you mix the law into your Christian life as a principle which you follow, then of course the promise and faith is made of none effect. And let me just say that you are outside of the grace of God. That is to say you are no longer walking by grace through faith. And now chapter 5 is going to teach us this in a very practical way. And so what's the application? It tells us verse 31, So then brethren, this is simply being taught out of the fourth chapter, So then brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. That is to say this very simply, We are children of God by grace through faith and that leads us into the full privilege of sonship. What leads us to that? The principle of grace through faith. The Apostle Paul is in no way teaching here. And I want us to notice this. He's not teaching the Galatians that they must be born again. He's correcting the Galatians that they need to return to a first principle. In fact, Here's the exhortation, it's in chapter 5 verse 1, Stand fast, therefore. Now you do not tell a lost person to stand fast. Uh, He's in a bad place. You tell him that his sins are upon him and to flee the wrath that is certainly due him. So this now is exhortation to believing people who've gotten to the wrong principle. And that's why when we came to the verse in Galatians chapter 3, that we looked upon it as the most important verse or maybe maybe not most important verse but the thematic verse of the epistle Galatians 3 3 are you so foolish having begun in spirit are you now going to mature or end according to the flesh of course God forbid that we would think such a way then the doctrinal portion of the chapter 3 and chapter 4 are brought forcefully to our minds and we do well If we don't understand those arguments we do well to review them so that we do understand them because today as it has always been in Christianity it is very difficult to find anywhere where some portion or other of the Galatian error is not being taught in the churches and another misconception which allows us I think or gives us a license an improper license to write off the epistle to the Galatians oftentimes preachers will characterize this epistle as stating that the Galatian churches somehow believe that salvation was not by grace through faith. That's not at all what this error is. These are saved people. These are people who are born again and who have received Christ by grace through faith but have left that principle and picked up another one as we have characterized it. They were taught step on up here to Moses. God has now enabled you with your new nature and with this marvelous gift to walk according to law. You failed to do it before, but you can do it now. God forbid that we would change principles. Therefore the great challenge of the Epistle of Galatians is found in five one. Stand fast. Now this is an exhortation that we find uh, several times in Scripture, the exhortation to stand. We find it in 1st Corinthians, we find it in Galatians, and at the end of Ephesians uh, we'll see where we're to take up the whole armor of God, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. Although in the context of Ephesians, it's stand in order to war, whereas here, it's to just stand fast and hold on to the principle, much like it was in 1 Corinthians in the 16th chapter, where the apostle says in his exhortation at the end of that epistle in verse 13, Watch you, stand fast in the faith, Quit you like men, which is very similar language at least to the King James Bible to what the Lord told the Philistines to do when they captured the Ark of the Covenant at Ebenezer. Quit you like men, be strong, fit to fight, fit to war, fit to run. And that's now the summary exhortation here in Galatians 5. Stand fast therefore in the liberty, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And of course, that would remind us when we think about liberty, it, it could remind us and does remind me at least of 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, where we learn that through Moses there was blindness, but verse 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3 now the Lord is the, that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Of course, the Apostle here exhorting the Galatians, you began by the hearing of faith, and it was answered by God and confirmed by God by the giving of Spirit, Holy Spirit, and this is now the great things that you've enjoyed, and it came by the hearing of faith, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now your job is to stand fast in it, to stand fast in, therefore, in the liberty Wherewith Christ is made as free, and, and then here's the contrary avoid, be not again entangled with the yoke of bondage. And of course, this says entangled again. And the lost person is not entangled again in bondage, he's just in bondage. These are people who are entangling themselves again in the bondage that they've already left. So, this is to saved people, it's about saved people this is about people who have already known what it is to be brought into liberty and now seek for some bizarre reason lack of faith and of course false teaching to which they adhere to remember they had left the lord they moved away from the lord and they desire to go back into bondage i am reminded of the mentality of the children of Israel in the wilderness. We've done some series on the children of Israel in the wilderness and I think they're of some benefit to you. If you care to listen to them you can find them on the website or you can just ask us for them and we'll mail them out to you free of charge on CD, whether MPEG or uh, otherwise audio CD, however you like it, even tapes. Uh, just go to our website and ask for that. and We'll give you whatever we have. But I'm reminded of how it is that these uh, in the wilderness, children of Israel in the wilderness, they turned in their heart back to Egypt and on a couple of occasions they said hey let's get ourselves a captain let's go back to Egypt. They wanted to be back in bondage and in their faith they were in bondage. And the Apostle says don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage and he's not merely exhorting for no reason there are very serious consequences to this. We Looked in, we were looking in Colossians yesterday at the end of our time, and we saw that the Apostle warned later when he writes the epistle to the Colossians out of prison in Rome. He tells them, don't let anybody beguile you of your reward by a voluntary uh, inhumility and the religion of angels. This is an angelic religion. The religion of law is an angelic religion. It's not God's plan. It's not God's purpose. When the law had a purpose, we learned what it was. It was added because of transgressions. It was added to preserve the nation of Israel until the seed came to whom the Abrahamic covenant was promised. At that time, when the law was given, it was ministered by angels. That made it inferior, not superior. It required a hand of a mediator. That made it inferior, not superior. The angels no longer, at least the obedient angels, no longer minister uh, the law of Moses. And they never will minister the law of Moses again. They've been taken off that task. They now serve those who have received Christ as Savior. And in this particular dispensation they attend Christian church gatherings. That's what the angels do and they also attend on other matters as God gives them. Servants of His servants. But now here we can be greatly deprived if we walk on the wrong principle. And our spiritual enemy knows that we have eternal life. He can't take that away from us. That's a present possession. But he can neutralize us in the spiritual war. And the best way to neutralize us is to get us off the principle of grace through faith. So we're exhorted by the Apostle along with the Galatians to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Not an easy thing to do necessarily. A simple instruction, a simple but not easy thing to do. Well, why is it simple? It's simple because it is something we completely understand we do, child of God, you do understand that you've received Christ as your Savior, that that was on the basis of faith. You understand the faith principle. Uh, If you're a child of God today, you have a witness in yourself that you are a child of God and that came to you, that witness came to you, and the nature to respond to the Word of God came to you simply by the hearing of faith. So you do have knowledge of how easy it is for you because it wasn't easy for Christ. But, on the other hand, you are also conflicted. I'm conflicted. We have a war of two natures inside of ourselves. Uh, We have that old flesh, the old man, that nature which is responsive to legal principle, that nature which is our own worst enemy that wants to go to bondage, and there's no coexisting with that old nature. That old nature needs to be mortified, or put to death, co-crucified with Christ, As the Apostle said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Christ uh, lives his life in me. Actually, Christ is living his life in me, and the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, verse 2, he says, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you Nothing. Now, interestingly, immediately he seizes upon circumcision. Because these Judaizers, this is the way they come. They come in and they say, except you be circumcised, as it said in Acts chapter 15, you can in no wise be saved. Now what they were trying to do was press circumcision upon the uncircumcised. That is to say, they were trying to press the right of circumcision on the Gentiles and said you need your introduction into the mosaic economy here be circumcised get on this principle and then conduct yourself according to this what we tell you now let me say about circumcision circumcision is nothing circumcision is nothing if you've been circumcised don't worry about it it's nothing if you haven't been circumcised don't worry about it it's nothing circumcision is a nothing now, so why does he say, if circumcision is a nothing, why does the apostle say, if you be circumcised, Christ will not profit you anything? He's talking here to those who were not in circumcision and who were being pressed to be circumcised, adult men. Uh, No women, by the way, and that's one reason why we understand that circumcision can't possibly have to do with being in Christ, where in Christ there is neither male nor female. After all, female circumcision is not something that was ever practiced in the Mosaic economy. That pretty much excludes the sisters. Now in Gentile civilizations, there are many tribal civilizations that practice the horrible and and awful procedure called female circumcision. I happen to know some tribal groups in East Africa. I know of these groups that practice this horrid thing it's so horrible that governments try to make it illegal for the sake of human human dignity but let me say that there's a logic to it if one is going to accept a legal principle if one is going to accept a legal principle that circumcision is something that is spiritually valuable then why not find some horrible way to do it to the women also of course we don't recommend that we're with the apostle paul circumcision is nothing. If you haven't been circumcised, think nothing of it. If you have been circumcised, think nothing of it. You want to circumcise your children because you think it's hygienic or whatever, I don't care. This as a religious practice, however, is if you do this as a religious practice, if you do this as some kind of entrance into an economy with God, let me assure you that that takes you out of all profit in Christ. and we're going to talk about what profit is and what it is and when we get back from this brief message. I'm John Malone and you're listening to BibleStudy.net When we come across the word profit it should raise things to our mind. It should raise for example the thought of grace to our mind immediately. The idea of profit is that added part that is more than the return on your labor. Yeah, I was a student of economics the dismal science at the university, and I didn't learn much. I wasted a lot of years. Fortunately, uh, in my latter years at the university, I did receive Christ as my savior. I came to my senses, and one of the first things God told me to do is get out and finish with that place, which I did, and uh, I finished up my degree in the dismal science of economics. Now, there was some truth in economics. One truth was about profit and the need for it, and what comes from profit profit is that part that comes after you've subtracted out every expense you can conceivably think about including labor and capital and profit is that which is left over it is that added part now as we learn the lessons of the scripture and of grace we realize that God is about profitability in fact we find that in all labor there actually is profit that's one of the things that the Scripture teaches us. Another thing that we learn about the Scripture in the Scripture, that all Scripture is profitable for certain kinds of work. Now, profit is that part which grace adds. In fact, if we look at the numerical scheme in the Bible, we can see that the number of the natural world is four. We have four directions, we have on the earth, we have many four-legged animals on the earth, so forth. Four is a number of the earth, We see many replications of the number four when it comes to things of the earth. Five is the number of grace. So what's the difference between four and five? Well, it's that added part. It's that one more thing. And that, of course, speaks of profit, which speaks to the grace of God. So by the grace of God, there is exactly what we deserve, but then there is the added part, more than that. And that, by the way, friends, is how you live your Christian life. You live it on that added part. And so here it says in verse 2, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Now he talks about circumcision specifically here because that is what is being pressed upon these Gentiles. Circumcision and then all that that entails and follows in the Judaizing religion. Assure yourself that... He's talking about profiting in Christ and not about being in Christ. Be assured of that because he's exhorting these very same people to stand fast in the liberty wherein they've been set free. So here he says, if you be circumcised, if you leave the principle by which you've been saved, which is grace through faith, you will not be profited by Christ. Christ shall profit you nothing. Christ himself, the body of Christ, because you leave off all opportunity for profit. This has to do with the profitability of the Christian life. This has to do with the rewardability of the Christian life. And we need to distinguish things that differ here. It does not have to do with the gift of God. This has to do with losing out on the prize of God. Thus Colossians 2, let no one beguile you of what? Not your salvation, but your reward. This is about the way to walk, or the way to run, as the case may be. In fact, we find it down here in verse 7, You did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? In other words, you were running fine, and now you're not running well. Get back to that first principle, the principle of the grace of God through faith, The principle of the Spirit of God instead of the flesh. Be led by the Spirit like a child of God is only able to do. Only a child of God can be led by the Spirit. We're going to see that also in this chapter. Of course, we see it more completely laid out in Romans, as we continue to say. But here he's talking about profitability. And verse 3, he's not talking here as an Arminian would tell you, or as someone who doesn't believe in the security of the gift of God or doesn't really believe it is a gift of God, I guess. Uh, To those of my friends who believe that they can lose their salvation, the, the gift of God, and that eternal life is not their present possession, to be held in the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father, and not entrusted to their own hands, let me assure you that despite the fact of your insecurity, God overlooks that, and you still have eternal life. For I testify to every man that is circumcised, verse 3, that he is a debtor to do the whole law. You cannot pick and choose about the law. The law is one. You can't begin with circumcision as far as doing the law and performing the law and then not end with everything that's in the law. Of course, these Judaizers, they like to pick and choose different aspects of the law to keep. And, of course, the law can't be kept in its details at all. Well, not not only because of the incapacity of man to keep it, but because God circumstantially has made it impossible to be kept. You cannot appear in the city of Jerusalem at the temple because there isn't one. God has actually made this impossibility part of our clear instruction. Understand this. You can't do a little law. You can't pick and choose and say, well, I'm going to do a little of this and a little of that. If you're going to be a Sabbath keeper, if you say you're going to keep the seventh day holy every week, well, you can't skip the high holy days. You can't skip the seventh year. You can't skip the 50th year. You can't do a little, either do it all, and that's you become a debtor to do it all, or you don't touch the thing. And no one wants to be a debtor to do it all because of the failure that that necessitates now verse 4 we have this Christ is become of no effect unto you now here again it has to do with effect it doesn't say that Christ is not yours it does not say Christ is in no association with you it does not say that you are not Christ's it says Christ is become of no effect of you whosoever of you are justified by the law, or you can't be justified by the law. What this really means is seek to be justified by the law. Christ is of no effect unto you. You have turned to the flesh. That which is flesh is flesh. Don't be surprised about that. The Lord told the teacher of Israel, Nicodemus, don't be surprised. Uh, You're a teacher of Israel. You don't know these things. That which is flesh is flesh. That which is spirit is spirit. And the two do not meet. The two do not coexist. Christ has become of no effect unto you. He cannot now affect your life. You will not be led by the Spirit of God. You will not be walking like a son. You are going to be walking like a slave boy, like a servant. You are fallen, here it is, fallen from grace. Well, what does this mean? That means you have fallen off the grace wagon. So what it means, this is the word for not fallen as if you've lost all grace. You have fallen off grace and onto something else. You're off the grace principle. You're on the law and works principle. Get back on the grace wagon. You've fallen off Of grace that's what this is so I say someone says to me do you believe that you can be fallen from grace of course you can walk according to the flesh you can be on the legal principle and then you are fallen off from grace that doesn't mean there's no grace for you it's the grace of God you can read Galatians 5 and get back on the grace train and that's what the apostle is saying child of God God wants you to walk in the way you received Christ This is what it means to have the faith of a little child. You believe God, it's counted for you to righteousness. You don't pick up a new principle, now that you're saved, you're able to keep the law. God forbid, now that you're saved, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me. You can walk in the Spirit, because the Spirit of God has been given to you. And that's exactly what the Apostle turns to. He says, don't be where Christ is not profiting you. Don't be where Christ is not affecting you. Be this way, for we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Now, here he's talking about through the Spirit. Here it is, we spiritually do this. We wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Now, some people say, you see, all we have is a hope of righteousness. We don't have actual righteousness. God has not truly imputed righteousness to us. We hope he does. That is not at all what this passage says. That is not at all what verse 5 of Galatians 5 says. It says, Through the Spirit we wait for righteousness' hope. That is to say there is a hope associated with the righteousness that we have. That faith works to hope. There, this is Romans chapter five. This is Galatians five five. This doesn't mean we hope for righteousness. It says we wait for the hope belonging to righteousness, or we wait for the hope attached to and associated with righteousness. And how do we wait? We wait by faith. Now, this hope comes by faith. Faith turns into hope. We look back at the Lord Jesus Christ's death on our behalf, just like the Galatians did. Christ didn't die in vain. He died for my sins. The just for the unjust. He became a curse, that the curse might be removed from us. He became a sin offering, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He truly has justified me. He gives unto me eternal life. No one can snatch me out of his hand. No one can snatch me out of the Father's hand. Same hand. I have passed through death into life and now my faith turns forward. I look backward and I have peace with God. I now look forward, my faith takes a forward look, and I wait for the hope associated with the righteousness by faith that I already have. So I have a righteousness by faith and now I have a hope. I have a living hope. What is my hope? My hope is the same hope that you have, my Christian friend. We have one hope of our calling. We all have the same hope. Maybe we have different personal hopes, but they categorize and collect under one hope that we all share. This is part of the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace we've been given. What is our hope? Our hope is then when we rendezvous with the Lord Jesus Christ, which is a certainty in our resurrection bodies, which is also a certainty. Our single hope is that in that day we would have boldness and not be ashamed because we want to be pleasing to him. Our hope is that we would be pleasing at our rendezvous with the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let that thought escape you. Entertain it now. Don't put it off. How is it that I'm pleasing to the Lord? How is it that I can conduct myself in a manner pleasing to the Lord? That is the Christian's hope. And through the Spirit, we wait for the hope associated with righteousness by faith. Righteousness by faith, Our faith turns to hope. We have a turnaround in our viewpoint. We no longer need to look backwards. Well, we remember our Lord Jesus Christ as we look back for what he has done, but we now have a living hope. We've been born again unto a living hope, a lively hope, where we look forward to our rendezvous with the Savior, and we hope that we'll be pleasing to him. That is not certain. It is not certain that you'll please him. In fact, it is, here it is, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So it is certain that if you're not walking on the principle of grace through faith, you will not please God. It is impossible for you to please him on any other principle. For in Jesus Christ, verse 6 of Galatians 5, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision avails anything, nor uncircumcision. There you see it. Neither one of these things avail anything. They're nothing. It's immaterial. Neither circumcision, nor uncircumcision, but what? Faith which works by love. And now we have an introduction that faith actually works. How does it work? It works by love. Agape. It works by principled love. Now the apostles putting us on the right track here. The same old principle with a forward look, grace through faith, with a forward look to be pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. He sets us on the track and that's the way we're to run. And of course verse 7 he said you did run well, you used to run well you were run you were literally this reads you were running well of course this is when he left them when he left the galatians they were running well he birthed them and he got them into the faith and he got them on the right track and he set jesus christ evidently in front of them picture of jesus christ crucified and they were on the right track they were running well who hindered you that you should not obey the truth or you should not submit to the truth Who is it that hindered you? That they need to identify who has hindered them. That they no longer submit themselves to the truth. Of course, Jesus Christ is the truth. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So who hindered you? Now there's somebody specifically that hindered them. And the Apostle's going to identify that one, or those, according to what they're teaching. They're teaching the believers in Galatia, the Gentile believers, that they need to be circumcised, and they're also appealing to the national chauvinism of the Jewish believers in Galatia, and trying to stick them back into, really, the Jews' religion, because the Mosaic economy is over. He says, who's hindering you? This persuasion does not come from him that calls you. He says, you're not listening. This this obedience that you have, this obedience to a law principle as opposed to the truth that you are performing doesn't come from the one who calls you. This is coming from someone else. Well, who else is there? There are only those who oppose him. Whoever's not with the Lord Jesus Christ is opposing him. And so this now is the same kind of a who that we saw behind who has bewitched you? Evil forces, wicked forces, led by wicked spirits in heavenly places by the way, teaching of demons, that's what it is, this persuasion, this obedience that you have to a lie is not coming from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he says verse 9, and this is something we don't like to think about, but it's true, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now that can go on two levels, personally and generally in the church first personally you can't have a little legal principle you can't just have a little law and think that that is going to be okay that leavening process will destroy your entire Christian life and you can't have a Christian fellowship where some are trying to walk on a legal principle and the rest are trying to walk on the principle of grace through faith let me sort that out a little further you have no church when a legal principle is being taught, you must have grace through faith taught. You're in a church that doesn't teach the Word of God. You're in a ter- church that teaches law. Let me tell you, seriously need to think about, am I in the place where God wants me? Because God would have you to hear His voice and be shepherded according to grace through faith. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Don't be deceived. This is just as wicked in the sight of God as adultery, fornication, drunkenness, extortion, uh, general badness. All these, all those things named in First Corinthians chapter five. This is a deadly sin. And we'll come back with more from BibleStudy.net. You're listening to John Malone. We got good stuff. Stay with us. <music> Well, we're doing some careful trudging through Galatians chapter 5. We're spending a little time here because the entire Christian world is rife with Galatian heresy, and we do well to study this. This is an epistle that kicked off the Reformation, led ostensibly by Martin Luther, but in fact led by God and the grace of God through the Word of God. It was this epistle that sorted that fellow out when we had the Dark Ages brought to us by an failure to apprehend the scripture, and the scripture is not in the hand of the average Christian. Today, the scripture is readily available to nearly every child of God, if not worldwide, certainly in the western world, including the United States, where you can even listen absolutely for free to the preaching of the word of God across the enemy's territory in the airwaves. Well, here we look now to verse 10. I have confidence in you, the apostle still speaking tenderly. You may recall that he changed his voice to begin speaking tenderly to the Galatians after rebuking them. He had a change of voice in the 20th verse of the 4th chapter where he laid out the teaching of the two covenants. Remember Abrahamic and Sinaitical or the Mosaic covenant. Now in verse 10 he said, I have confidence in you through the Lord, Galatians 5.10, that you will be none otherwise minded, But he that troubles you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. Now, he doesn't know the names. I think if he knew the name here, he probably would name the one or more who are troubling the Galatians. Now, this trouble is not a small matter. This isn't a trifling trouble. This is a major trouble. We remember this from Galatians 1. I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that calls you unto the grace of Christ, unto another gospel which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and pervert the gospel of Christ. They pervert the good news of Christ, not just the good news that you must be born again and you can be born again easily by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, not just that part of the gospel, but the rest of the gospel, the gospel of the glory of God, the good news concerning the age to come now he that troubles you will bear judgment whoever he be now whether he's judged here below by the Galatian churches or whether he's judged above by God now whether he's judged now or later he will bear his judgment And the Apostle there states a strong statement when he says that whoever he is if you're otherwise minded if if you're the one troubling the Galatians you are going to be judged and let me tell you uh, you who trouble Christian churches You who occupy pulpits, you may be listening, you occupy a pulpit, but you're hostile to the Word of God, and you're busy trying to teach people away from the Word of God. Your judgment's coming, and it's going to be very ferocious and very fierce on you. And it would be the grace of God that your hearers judge you and throw you out now uh, to give you a chance to save your sorry self from the judgment to come. Verse 11, I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. Now, here he interjects himself, and you might wonder, well, why does he talk about himself preaching circumcision when he doesn't? I believe that clearly behind this statement, there are those who are teaching the Galatian churches. Hey, Paul really, he may tell you he opposes circumcision, but he preaches circumcision, he circumcised Timothy. And the Apostle did circumcise Timothy. But just because the Apostle circumcised Timothy, that does not mean that he teaches circumcision. He had specific work to do. He wanted to be all things to all men. He did not want, when he picked Timothy and collected Timothy, to associate with him... Timothy here had a Jewish mother and a Gentile father and had not been circumcised. That would produce nothing but confusion. Nothing but confusion at that time to those Jews. So he had Timothy circumcised. Titus, he did not have circumcised. If the apostle preached circumcision, two things. For one, he would have had everybody circumcised. He'd be doing what these Judaizers do. Secondly, and here's the interesting thing, verse 11, if he preached circumcision, he would not be persecuted. And here we now find why it is that there are those who teach circumcision or other legal principle. They are trying to avoid the persecution that comes to the child of God when he insists on living by grace through faith. That is the the source of major persecution in the world today when you will live a simple life by grace through faith and insist on no other principle upon which to walk. That will cause you great persecution. Let me assure you you will be persecuted just as The apostle laid out for us in comparing the two covenants where he said Ishmael persecuted Isaac, as a word he used, persecuted, hounded him. You'll be hounded. You insist on simply believing in grace through faith, you will be hounded, you will be attacked, you will be despised, you'll begin to know the fellowship of the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ, and don't be at all surprised if it begins right in the church where you attend. So he says now if I if I preach circumcision why am I persecuted why am I still persecuted because if I preached circumcision the offense of the cross is over there's no more scandal to the cross it would cease verse 11 if he preached circumcision the Jews wouldn't hate him he wouldn't have had the problem with the Jews in Ephesus he wouldn't have the problem that he's going to have not too long after the writing of this epistle when he gets to Jerusalem with the zealots there as they become associated with his enemies from those who became his enemies from among the Asian Jews at Ephesus. Now he says a very strong term here, verse 12 I would that they were even cut off who trouble you. Now this cutting off. This is a what exactly what it says. It's a cutting off of the member. This isn't a circumcision. This is a castration. This practiced, by the way, by the priests among the Gentiles and the heathens. This tonsure practiced among certain heathens in their heathen practices. Now the fact that there's some surgery that goes on here is really, by the way, these heathen religions practice the celibacy of their priests. Let me assure you, the practice of priestly celibacy has nothing to do with the scripture, nothing whatsoever. It is a heathen practice, it leads to all manner of immorality, and I think we know that now in our society, that in fa- that it does lead To all kinds of immorality, but this is a heathen pagan practice, and here it's referenced. The Lord Jesus tells us some were made eunuchs by men, some make eunuchs of themselves, others are made eunuchs for the kingdom of God. Well this has to do with those who devote their lives and are gifted in such a way, or who live as if not married, not meaning celibate, but who know that to war the time is short as it says in first Corinthians the seventh chapter that they that have wives be as those that have none as referencing the things of the kingdom of God that is that they don't let their marriage get in the way of their service to the Lord this here the Apostle very strong language he said those who trouble you with this circumcision why don't they just go become cut off totally as they trouble you like the wicked priests that you gentiles used to be under and he makes no distinction here this very interesting statement by him extremely interesting statement by him that the apostle does not distinguish the difference between the Jews religion and any other heathen religion. And he's going to get further along in that thought once he's imprisoned in Rome so that in Colossians you can't tell the difference between the two. He points out that they're all angelic religions hateful and despicable to God. Now he says verse 13, For brethren you've been called unto liberty. Now, that reestablishes what he says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. He said, you have been called to liberty. You are not called on legal principle. You're dead to the law, and you are now in liberty. Now, do not use liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Of course, the flesh is to be mortified. It is crucified. We reckon ourselves dead to sin, alive to God. That's a present thought that we are to have. And he says, You don't use liberty. Actually, this is not use of liberty. You have no liberty for an occasion to the flesh. So he says, Really, in verse 13, it should read this way Brethren, we have been called unto liberty, only not liberty for occasion to the flesh, but liberty that by love to serve one another. He says, You have liberty to serve each other by love. You have liberty from the law in order to free yourself to live by grace through faith. Faith works by love, and so your liberty is this liberty, according to agape, or love, Christian love, principled love, to serve one another. And this, of course, we are freed in Christ in order to function together as the body of Christ. Not globally, not planet-wide, not nationally, but locally. That is where we practice the body of Christ. Uh, You may say, well there is a mystical body of Christ that includes all Christians from all ages, from all times, from the beginning of this present dispensation, and I agree with you. I just tell you, you can't fellowship with all of those. You can't have fellowship with my father who's asleep uh, until he rises again, then you can have fellowship with my dad. But for now, you have fellowship locally and you practice being the body of Christ in love serving one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Verse 14. Of course this, the Lord Jesus summarizing the two tablets. This is the way he summarized the two tablets. The first, love God. Second, love of neighbor. Now it's interesting here, by the way, that your neighbor is contextualized in the book of Galatians as being your Christian brother. By love serve one another. and That's because in the world, the world hates you. Uh, You'll find as you try to get along with uh, those who live around you, that you'll be in the circumstance though you are giving them good news, you'll be in the circumstance of David. While I'm for peace, they're for war. And when I try to say wonderful things to them about the Lord Jesus Christ and tell them about the grace of God and the gift of eternal life, they hate me. The world hates its own. So this thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, the opportunity to express agape comes in the Christian fellowship. And that testimony then goes to the world see how they love one another. This notion that you can somehow love the world is not true. You can't love the world and the world hates you. So to actually practice Christian love You need to have a local fellowship where that love is practiced. And when you see it, and I don't care what church you see it in, when you see Christian, I don't care what other problems they may have, when you see principled love being practiced in a Christian church among believers, it is a marvelous, marvelous thing. I've seen it happen in churches that I have little agreement with, but I see the Christian love of the little ones one to another as they rally to each other's cause when some tragedy happens and it is a heartwarming and marvelous thing and after all that's the important thing that we do practice principled love one to another now verse 15 but if you bite and devour one another take heed that you be not consumed one of another Now, why does he throw that in he throws that in because in Christian churches it's what we do we bite and devour each other Part of that is because our enemy, our spiritual enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, our spiritual enemies, stir us up against love of the brethren. I know one Christian who said to me, why is it that I got along so well with another Christian until we became in regular fellowship together in a Christian church and now it seems that we have so much difficulty getting along? And I can tell you the reason for that. There is a spiritual war and that spiritual war is intended to destroy the great testimony of Christian love one for another. We need to hold the principle of love even when we don't feel like it, even when we're offended, because if we don't verse 15 will happen. I suppose every Christian who's been involved in a Christian church knows what it's like when Christians begin to bite and devour one another. And Don't think that, by the way, they're any different or worse than anybody else. It's not true. The flesh is flesh. And when you're not walking according to the Spirit, when you're not being led by the Spirit, all flesh is the same. Christians are not really worse than anybody else. It just seems like it to you, and everybody else wants to say that they're just as bad or worse because they're busy trying to justify themselves. It's not any worse. It's just all the same the flesh is flesh." and He says when this goes on, take heed. You know, if you're biting and devouring each other, be careful you don't consume one another. We are all that we have here below. One another. And so we need to hold on to each other. That's what he's saying. Now he says, This I say then, verse 16, Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now he's saying, you you might ask the question, it's a good one to ask, this is the way I do this is the natural way I behave I just I walk according to the flesh I I have these lusts I'm gonna fulfill them seems like I need a rule some discipline some rules that I can follow so I don't fulfill the lusts of the flesh and that, that of course that is a wrong answer you'll jump off on the wrong principle you, you want to know how to avoid the lusts of the flesh walk in the spirit this is not an option it's not an alternative it's the only way to not fulfill the lust of the flesh, that is to walk in the Spirit. I like this word walk, it's a gracious word, it's a graceful word. Walk in the Spirit and don't worry about it, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And one thing you need to see when you do fulfill the lust of the flesh and when you are sinning like that, is to realize how it is you're not walking in the Spirit. Verse 17, For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh These are contrary to one to the other, so you cannot do the things that you would. And that means there is no exception, there is no alternative. You have to walk in the Spirit because these two natures are at war in you. Romans chapter 7, they're in war in you, and these are so contrary to each other that when you're trying to fulfill the lust of the flesh, You cannot walk in the Spirit. You can't do, when you're walking on the wrong principle, you cannot do the things that you want to do in your spirit. But if you are led of the Spirit, you're not under law. You're under a different principle. You're under the leadership of the Holy Spirit according to the Word of God. Well, these are marvelous things. We're going to look a little bit at the works of the flesh and why the Apostle picks the ones that he does next time We're coming to a conclusion in the book of Galatians. I trust you continue to study it. God will bless you in the meditation of this epistle. I'm John Malone. You've been listening today to BibleStudy.net.